So obviously, sounds like everybody's feeling awesome about everything right now. All the resolutions sticking. All right, we're in luck. Today's passage is a passage about perseverance, and so we're just going to jump in and read it. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in, any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Father, we come to you this morning, many of us with heavy hearts. We're grateful to have Parkers and Solsters back with us from their time of sickness. We're sad to have the Joneses and the Bruttons and others out with sickness. Pray this morning that you would be especially near to Mary Ruth as she travels to Pennsylvania to be with her parents and grandmother. Pray that if it's your will that her father would respond to treatment, that you would spare his life and the lives of her family. Pray that you would comfort and encourage her heart, that you'd help her to trust in you that you give her wisdom and grace as she tries to help her family through difficult times. Pray that you would give Matt wisdom and strength as he leads and cares for her and that he'd be near to Caleb and Eli as well. We also pray that you'd be with my friend Bob Kaplowitz as his time draws short. We pray that you'd prepare his soul to meet you and that you would comfort and encourage the many men whose lives he has touched and who will be grieving his passing over the coming days and weeks. We thank you for all that you've done in and through this man of God as an example and model to me of perseverance and faith. We come to you this morning with many cares and concerns. Uh, Loved ones who are suffering, who may be losing their faculties or nearing death or simply living in rebellion against you. Our desire is to see your kingdom come here in Evansville and your will done here as it is in heaven. We pray that prayer in faith and we see the disparity between the world we live in with its sin and suffering and brokenness and sorrow in the world as it ought to be. And we see that same struggle in our own hearts that we're not what we should be. We pray that you would help us. Fill us with faith and hope and love, with joy and believing. Strengthen our hearts for the work you've set us apart to do as men and women who have been adopted into your family. We call you Father. Strengthen our hearts for the work you have for us as a local church and a local community seeking to change our small corner of the world for the good. As we study your word this morning, would you give us humble hearts and tender consciences and a will to take what we hear and to obey it? 
Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This morning, we are finishing chapter three and actually touching on chapter four. So all that time in chapters one and two, chapter three in two weeks. Pedal to the metal. We're getting it done. Then we'll be down to the final chapter. Uh, To do that, I want us to be sure we're really seeing the whole chapter. So last week, what do you guys remember from the first half of Philippians chapter three? Started with us having some enemies, right? And being okay to put some labels on them, to engage in a little holy name calling. What were the names that we had? Dogs, evildoers. It's easier to say dogs than evildoers, but I'm not sure which is worse. Dogs, evildoers, and what? Those who mutilate the flesh or the false circumcision. That's how it's translated, right? And then we learned that that's actually a pretty fun pun, and then we had some fun with, hey, Matt, good morning. It's good to see you. It was a fun pun, right? And we got to some, like, fun Greek. And what was the other fun Greek word that we learned? Scooby-doo, was it? Scooby, Scooby, you remember? None of y'all kids remember this? This is like the Greek swear word that you can get away with saying. Scubalon. That's it. Scubalon. The enemies of the gospel try to do one basic thing we see in, that, in the passage. And that's make being righteous in God's sight a matter of works, a matter of things that we do instead of a matter of faith. Uh, today we're going to get into why this particular group of false t- teachers did that some. We also learned that whatever the standard they were trying to set up was, Paul had them beat, right? Paul was there first. Whatever they thought, he, he had it times 10. And he called it all dogs, Scubalon, right? His one aim was not to have this kind of self-righteousness, but to lay hold of Christ, to gain Christ and be found in him. And then we saw those same three aspects of salvation that we've been talking about, right? In that passage, so past tense, present tense, future tense. Past tense is, what's the word? Justification. I have been saved, and I am free from the guilt of sin, justification. Present tense is sanctification. I am being saved, being freed from the power of sin. Future tense, I will be saved, glorification, free from the presence of sin. It's all right there in verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that's justification, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that's sanctification, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, that's glorification. And then I tease this thing, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead, what is that? Does that sound like certainty? Sounds a little bit like uncertainty and doubt, right? Sounds like something. It sounds, even using that word attain, sounds a little bit like works, right? So what's that about? We'd never talk that way, right? But that line of seeming doubt or uncertainty continues in today's passage. So here we go with the first verse of today's passage. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
What's he saying he's not obtained? What has he not laid hold of? Is it glorification? Is it the resurrection of the dead? That is an easy answer, right? But it's also kind of a silly one, because what's he saying? And in case you guys didn't know, I'm not dead yet. I've not yet died. That's kind of silly, right? He's, he's worried about dying. We've talked about dying. All that sort of happened. It's probably, he probably doesn't think it's worthwhile to say, and also, I'm not dead, right? Turns out he's alive. So it's probably not that. Other people want to read the passage and say, hey, look, so I guess what this means is the whole of his salvation is sort of up in the air. There's no confidence and there's no assurance and there's no certainty that we can have because it's not something he's laid hold of and he, he's an apostle, so I guess none of us can have any confidence or assurance or certainty. That seems to fly in the face of almost everything we've studied, though, up until now, right? I am sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. That sounds like confidence, right? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That doesn't sound like somebody who has any doubts about what happens when he dies. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. It doesn't sound like a man who lacks confidence in where he's headed. Sounds like a man absolutely certain of where he's headed, secure in his faith, secure in what Jesus has done, and free to risk everything because of his confidence in God. Free to suffer many losses, free to take big risks, free to do great things, free to lose everything, including his own life. We know he doesn't want to make his own work, his own righteousness, the ground of his salvation. That's exactly what the evil doing, flesh-mutilating dogs do, right? So what's going on? Here's my answer. This all lies in the realm of what we mean when we say we're being saved. We're being saved. Sanctification. How, and how it relates both to justification and glorification. They're all equally certain. They're all equally of grace. But because they're all purchased, and because they're all purchased for us by the blood of Jesus and worked out in our lives by his Holy Spirit. But you cannot have any one of them without the others. They are conditions. Sanctification, that sin would lose its power over us, means good works. We have been saved for the purpose of good works, Ephesians 2 tells us. If we have been born again, our lives are transformed from the inside out. We delight to do good works. Which means if our lives aren't characterized by good works, we're not going to be saved. Not that we're saved because of them, but they are the necessary and inevitable fruit of everybody who has been justified and who will be glorified. We must persevere in good works to the very end of our lives, or else we prove that the work began in us was not of God because it's not continued in us. It's here in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has made me his own. I have been saved. I belong to him. He's made me his own. But I'm not perfected yet. So I must be perfected. I must strive to live a life that looks like Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The whole goal of the Christian life as we experience is to lay hold of that for which... 
Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. It's to become like Jesus. It's to gain Christ. It's to be found in him. It's to know him in the power of his resurrection, to share in his suffering and become like him in his death. Putting to death our sin, walking in righteousness and newness of life. Not so that we earn God's favor, not so that we earn God's forgiveness, not so that we earn God's kindness, but because it's ours in Christ and we're new. Jesus has made us his own. We're driven to him. This is the way the Apostle Paul thinks of himself, right? We think of the Apostle Paul, we think of this standard of godliness and holiness that is beyond us. We can't attain to it, right? Like all of the suffering and all of the, I mean, planning the churches and the kind of guys like he's been beaten half to like, we don't have, look at that. We don't have that. I don't have that in me. I, or I don't think I do, right? And he's over here saying, I'm not there yet. I'm far from what I ought to be. And I'm an example to you. And I, as an example, the main thing that's important about my example is not what I've attained to, but it's my trajectory. It's my aim and my perseverance in that aim. It's not that I have stacked up a load of good works behind me. It's that my life's ambition is to become like Jesus and I never stop. It's not where I started from. It's not where I'm at is where I'm headed and is the fact that I'm going to continue fighting on that path until the day that I die. His aim is to become like Jesus in every way possible, to put his sin to death. We look to him as a standard of godliness and he says, okay, you're looking to me as a standard and I'm a good standard actually. I want you to follow my example. I'm doing my best. But but the thing to learn is not well, you got to go and be shipwrecked and do all the things. It's that you have to set your life's course to follow after Jesus. And it's going to look different for you than it is for me. But you set your life's course to follow Jesus. Striving, fighting, working to live up to that calling. What does that look like? How does he do it? He tells us, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What kind of imagery does that remind you of? Press into the awkward silence. Thank you. Looks like a squirrel, talks like a squirrel, acts like a squirrel, but I know it must be Jesus. Dumb joke. I don't know if you guys know it. Referencing a joke I've never told. Leaning into the awkwardness. Running a race. Back on track. Running a race, right? When you're running a race, what's the strategy? What's the, one of the unique things about running a race? If you are looking to the side or behind, what are you doing? You're slowing down and you're running the risk of tripping up, right? The only way to win a race is to be focused more on where you're headed on the finish line than on the people beside you and behind you. The instant you take your eyes off of the finish line is the instant you start to run the risk of losing. That's the way it works. You fixate on the finish line. There's no longing for what's behind you. There's no regret about what you've left behind. There's no looking back. Lot's wife looked back. She looked back. She was told not to. Didn't go well. The Israelites in the wilderness looked back. Longed for Egypt. It didn't go well. 
That kind of thing is poison, looking back. Y'all tempted by that? To run the race well, there's no could have been, no should have been, no, if only, if only I hadn't started following Jesus, if only I hadn't made those sacrifices, if only I hadn't made those decisions, if only I hadn't given up that career or that path or that whatever decision I made to pursue godliness, if only I hadn't given up that relationship that was unhealthy, if only, no if onlys, none of that, fixated on the finish line, eyes on the prize, we are where we are now, here we are, nothing behind us can be undone, we fix our eyes on Jesus now. Same goes for our failures and mistakes along the way, right? You don't win a race or a competition by fixating on your mistakes. You learn from them, but the job is to figure out how to get to the end, right? See that in all sports, right? Golf, golfers in here? One. Here's, our, here's my golf analogy. You hit the ball into the woods. If you're fixated on the fact that you missed the fairway, what happens? You don't get out of the woods. You can't retrace your steps. There's no undoing the fact that the ball is now where the ball is. And you have to find the shortest path to the hole. It's like uh, a ship at sea, right? A ship at sea gets off course through some navigational error, through a storm. Endpoints up here, this was our path. We're now over here. We don't follow the same path. We end up in the wrong place. We don't try to retrace our steps. We figure out where we're at and we take the quickest possible path to the destination. Constant course correction. We are where we are. We forget what's behind. It doesn't matter. What matters is here we are and there's our goal. How do we get there today? And that's the Christian life. Failure, mistakes, distractions, regrets, and we have to leave them all behind every day. And say, today, how am I going to be more like Jesus today? Man, I wish I wouldn't have. Doesn't matter. You did. Okay. Today, how do I become more like Jesus? How do I learn from that? How do I repent? How do I grow? How do I become more like the man God has called me to be today? Today, how am I going to lay hold of Christ? Today, how can I take baby steps back in the right direction to repenting of my anger and my lust and my greed and my pride and whatever it was that set me off course yesterday? How do I do it today? Oh man, I've slowed down. When I first became a believer, I was sprinting. I was running hard. I got fatigued. I fell into sin. I, got, I was sprinting hard. I thought I knew where I was going, but I was so new and so young. I was headed this way thinking I was going that way. Well, you started the race and you have to finish it. People get tired. People retrace their steps. The wise and the godly and the mature, over time, come to realize the Christian life is long, steady obedience in the right direction. Many stumblings and failings and fallings. Long, steady obedience in the right direction. Lots of missteps, lots of course correction, lots of, wait a minute, where am I supposed to be headed here? That's the mature way to think about the Christian life. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained.
We've come this far. (laughs) What's good? Let's hold on to that. As far as we are, here's where we are. What's good? Let's hold on to that. Let's today learn how to reorient our lives to following Jesus today. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep pressing on. The godly and the mature really do think that way. And that's why we need to become godly and mature and to surround ourselves with those who are. Because many people fall aside along the way. We need to learn from the example of those who make it to the end. How do they do that? Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Examples matter. A pace setter matters. Following those who have a track record of following Jesus matters. They've shown they're on the right trajectory, that they're moving toward Jesus. Why? For, because, many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And Paul's seen this his whole ministry, right? He's out on the frontiers. He's out planting churches. He's dealing with churches and people falling away and turning from Jesus. People he loved and invested in. Many start out on the road. Many start out on the straight and narrow. Many wander off. Jesus tells the parable of the sower. Seed scattered, right? Some of it falls on fertile ground, good ground. Springs up and bears a harvest. But a lot of it falls on the road or by the side of the road, in shallow soil. It springs up, it looks good at first, but it doesn't take root. And the cares of this world, the troubles of this life come in and heat comes, burns it up. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things. Now, let's not forget the dogs at the top of the passage, because that's who he's thinking of here first. Okay. Their God is their belly. What do you think was the aim of those false teachers? Why would somebody come in and be like, y'all got to be circumcised, y'all got to do the things? What was that about? He says their God's their belly. Why were they so intent on getting people to follow a bunch of ceremonial laws? I'll tell you what it was. The Jewish leaders had a big fit about the church welcoming Gentiles into the, into the fold. That a big fit about it. That was the sticking point. That's what got Stephen, the first martyr, killed. And the apostle Paul was there. That's why he wanted Stephen killed. Because Stephen was saying, the Gentiles are coming in. And God is turning to the Gentiles because you're rejecting Jesus. And they didn't like that. So these guys, these false teachers, were looking for halfway measures. Looking for peace. Looking for comfort. Looking for ease. Looking for a way to split the difference. If you read the book of Acts, it was the Pharisees who hated Paul and the Christian faith and thought they were defiling their holy faith with Gentiles. And so it was the Jewish leaders, it was the Pharisees and the scribes who were going city to city, stirring up persecution. And so these guys were coming in and saying, hey, wait a minute. If you just like jump through a couple hoops here, we can avoid all this mess. And so they concocted their own way of thinking about what it means to be saved. If you jump through these hoops, you actually, you have to jump through these hoops. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow certain aspects of the law. That's what you need. But they're not thinking about what it means to come. They're not thinking about the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. They're not thinking about 
the depth of our sin. They're only thinking one thing, which is how do I avoid persecution? How do I avoid suffering? How can we just sort of split the difference? They're trying to make peace with men, but not between God and men. And that's why they were so dangerous. That's why they were so appealing. That's why so many churches stumbled. They were willing to give up the heart of the gospel in order to split the difference. So who's out there splitting the difference today? Who's splitting the difference with our culture? It shows where their citizenship is, right? Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And what's the point of saying that? Theirs is on earth. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Their God is their bellies with mindset on earthly things. Money, fame, crowds, lights, sex, emotional validation. These are the kinds of things that drive false teachers. That drive the people that Paul calls dogs. Men who are ashamed of God and of his words and who are willing to sell God's words short to make peace with men. And so they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why as enemies of the cross of Christ? Because the cross is where Jesus paid for our sins with his blood. And you don't get to earn that. The cross is where he suffered. And these false teachers don't have any respect for the blood of Jesus and his suffering and will not follow in his footsteps and are unwilling to take the first step into suffering. Any place they can remove the cross and make their lives easy, they will do it. And that's why he calls it evil. But there are many like that. And not just like big name preachers and teachers, right? You live the Christian life long enough. You see people you love, people that you thought you were on the journey with, fall away. Friends who started out strong, who maybe you looked up to, started out stronger than you. Over time, what did they prove? They proved that their God was actually their belly. The Christianity was for a season. The sun came out, the birds of the air came. The responsibilities of caring for their families was too much. The bitterness was too deep. The desire for comfort and ease, too strong. Mindset on earthly things. Some of the people that, when they first become a Christian, go hardcore ascetic. They're just the flip side of a coin, right? Their minds are never not set on earthly things. It just looks spiritual for a time. That's why Paul warns about that sort of thing throughout his letters. We're the kind of people that are given to asceticism. You know, prive yourself of, of everything. When God created things that are good, for our good. And godliness is not about self-denial. It's about love. If any of us in this room fall away from the faith, what will it, what will it be about? It will be about our bellies, right? Our sinful desires. Our minds and hearts being set on the things of this world. Set your mind on things above where Christ is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Will we master our desires? Will we become conformed to Christ? Will we lay hold of him? Will we strive to be like him in his death and die to our sin and partake of the power of his resurrection as he transforms us? Will that be our life's aim? Will we follow the Apostle Paul's example? Will we forget what lies behind? We all have that opportunity today. It does not matter how we came into this room. It doesn't matter. We can course correct now. We can fix our eyes on Jesus now. We can look at our sin and our rebellion. We can look at everything and say, I will forget what lies behind because I must lay hold of Jesus. If he's laid hold of me and I love him, I want to lay hold of him. 
today, I'm going to fix my eyes on Christ. I'm going to lay hold of him. I'm going to give myself to the fight of faith. I've been lazy. I've been weak. There are many places where I've sought ease and comfort instead of godliness. Today I can course correct. Today I can renew my commitment to walking in the way, to following hard after Jesus. In many ways, that's, all, that's what we come here for every Sunday, right? It's like a week's been hard and we need help course correcting. We need each other. We need God's word hammering on us, hitting us, pushing us, pressing on us to follow after Jesus. It's messy, it's hard, it's often uphill. But by God's grace, we will persevere to the end because Jesus has laid hold of us. So fight to persevere to the end because Jesus has laid hold of you. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning knowing that we have failed in many ways and that we could examine our lives for what-ifs and regrets. We pray that you would give us the faith to forget what lies behind and to fix our eyes today on Jesus. We are where we are, and we're grateful that we're here among brothers and sisters who are pursuing you. We pray that we would take strength from your word, that we would take strength and courage from one another. We pray that you would renew our faith and our zeal to follow hard after Jesus and to become like him. We pray that you would make us to stand firm and help us to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.